you know we're all going to sing that song again one day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your presence is too glorious for us to approach. But we come because you have called us to come to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come. We thank you, Father, for your gracious kindness toward us in Christ, for his unimaginable deaths, paying for our sins, and for his rising again for our justification. You removed us out of Satan's kingdom and into the kingdom of your dear son, and because of his cross work alone, we can come into your presence today. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit who lives within us, as he does with all who come to trust in Christ. Father, first of all, this morning, we want to confess our sin to you as we have. We each struggle with our own set of sins. We're thankful to have the Spirit of God at work in us to overcome these sins. Please cause us to catch ourselves plotting sin as we used to do, as the wicked imagine. And remember that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Father, sometimes our sin causes those who are lost to scoff and mock your holy name. But we thank you for the promise to cleanse us as we repent, as we confess our sins, as we turn so we can lift up holy hands to you in prayer. Father, we want to ask for our country, in particular those in leadership at a national, state, and local level, especially the city council here in Linden, that you would turn their hearts to Christ. Some are believers already, that you would strengthen their testimonies. And then grant all our leaders wisdom so that we might live quiet, peaceable lives in pursuit of preaching the gospel. Also, Father, all our brothers and sisters in area local churches of like precious faith need support since some churches that have not yet are planning to come back together this spring to reunify their churches for meeting in person to reopen fellowship in this sensitive time. While battling this virus still has some on edge and the pastors involved struggle with tough decisions, we ask for walking grace for them in Fenton, Grand Blank, Swartz Creek, Gaines, and Byron. Father, we'd ask that you'd bring their churches back complete, whole, and keep them free of recurrence of a devastating outbreak of the virus. Father, for our congregation, just as for these churches, we have many physical needs with COVID and surgeries and healing that we pray would take place. Sometimes these times of healing take longer than we expect, but we thank you for patience and the knowledge that you never leave us or forsake us. We pray too, God, for the teaching ministries that are to resume here, that they would thrive, 
that you would provide and equip the teachers and the Spirit might prepare our students according to your word so that when they go to class or to college, their teachers and classmates won't unravel their faith, that they would know your word, understand the gospel clearly, and know how they ought to defend the faith that has not changed since it was once given to the saints. May they defend it in a way pleasing to you. So to that end, Father, we pray for the elders as they direct the teaching ministries here. Thank you, Lord, for granting them wisdom. We ask for physical strength for our teachers and the strength of the Holy Spirit against the enemy, both to those teachers who are returning to teach Sunday school and to others who may be new to the task. We also ask for the children and the teens and adult students that we would have a single-minded purpose of growing in Christ-likeness to strengthen each other in our walk, in love, and then in overflowing love for Christ and for one another to pursue the lost among us outside these walls. Lord, continue to grow us together as a godly body of believers, recognizing our sin every day and humbly coming to you once again, to confess, repent, and yield to the ministry of the Spirit of God inside, producing true spiritual fruit, exalting Christ in each one of us. Finally, we're thankful this morning for once again being able to hear Pastor Daniel clearly preaching your word so that we might respond in delight running to you as the source of every comfort, driving away all our fear. And as your word now both equips and enables us, may we go minister to those who are afraid with the same comfort we've received. And should there be some who discover themselves from the scriptures, showing them that they stand before you this morning as wicked, truly fearful and trembling, May they see the light of the knowledge of your glory shining in the face of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. I'd ask you to turn with me to the 10th Psalm. Psalm, have a Bible invite you to take one of the black Bibles that are in some of the chairs. We just ordered a bunch more. And so if you, we'd love for you to take one of these. If you don't have an ESV Bible, it's the version I'm preaching in. Uh, you don't have to have that version, but if you want that, or if you want to sit and follow along, take one of that, take one of these books. It's one of these Bibles, page 451 or Psalm 10 is where we're going to be this morning. you're new with us, we began a series on Psalms in the month of November. We're on Psalm 10, and we're going through all 150 Psalms. Not, we'll go through them in order, but we'll take several breaks throughout, and this forces us to press into certain Psalms that I never would have picked. And yet, 
God wants us to apply, to learn from, to understand and grow, to know our Lord. Would you follow along as I read Psalm, 1, or Psalm 10? Psalm 10 has no title to it. Notice that if you look in your Bible. You might say, yes, it does. Mine says, why do you hide yourself? Well, that's not from the scriptures. That is from the ESV Bible printers who put themes or titles on there. But if you look at chapter 9, you'll see in a little different kind of font, in all capitals, actually, to the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a Psalm of David. And in fact, all of the Psalms up till now has had a title, which we believe is from the ancient Hebrew manuscripts. Many believe because of this, chapter 9 and 10 are one psalm. In fact, so much so that many of the versions of the Bible were passed on and 9 and 10 were one psalm, one longer psalm. We're gonna, we've treated them in two different ways. Last week we looked at it and we saw that Psalm 9 is a praise but dealing with the wicked that are many and menacing and made for destruction, marked for destruction. Let's look at 10 this morning. It is, it is a little different tone than chapter 9. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes they've devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there's no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity, and he sits in ambush in the villages. In his hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he might seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him to his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He'll never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God? And say in his heart, you'll not call to him to account. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O oh Lord, you hear. You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Amen. Amen.
Now, wasn't that a warm and comforting psalm? You know, the coziness about his enemies lurking and defying God and forgetting about God. On, on the surface, not very much. Usually, Psalm 10 is not on the top 10 list of your favorite comforting psalm when you're in trouble. Psalm 9 was mostly praise with, in the midst of trial. Psalm 10 is a lament. A lament. Maybe you haven't heard that word before. You heard the word, if you went, read through the Bible table of contents, you've read the word lamentation. Lament, it's where you get the word lament. Laments. Laments are the Christian response to personal pain. It, and corporate pain, like a church, when we're in pain as a church, or national pain. Humans respond to pain with tears. Humans cry. We, we cry. You, your little toddler trips down the step, bumps her nose or forehead. She cries. The, the football player who is expecting to go to the Super Bowl sits at the sideline after a devastating loss and tears are streaming down his eyes. He cries. To be human is to cry when you're in pain, whether it be physical or emotional, cry. But it is to do more than to cry. It is to cry with a cry of lament. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Christians believe God is good. They've come to believe that. But pain is in their life. And lament is the heart's cry, the howl sometimes, the moaning, the groaning, the screaming, the cry out of our heart, oh God, help me. You're good, but I'm in pain. And we're wrestling with that paradox. Lament is a prayer in pain that I want to say leads to trust. While at times, God can give special comfort to those that are going through a great loss or pain or difficulty. And he does. And he comforts his people. And for some people, their testimony might be, I just felt an overwhelming grace in my life, and it's just, I can't believe it. I never imagined this kind of comfort. Well, God sometimes allows that for many. That's, that comfort and that ease in the midst of the pain doesn't come right away or often. There are seasons of pain and lament and yearning and longing and what feels like unanswered prayer. It wasn't the case for David where he went from trials to immediate joy. He lamented, and so did our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, he lifted up his eyes to heaven with his hands outstretched and said and quoted the psalm, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a quotation from Psalm 22. My brother-in-law, Bjorn, just a year and a half ago, was diagnosed with a very rare cancer, really, in, in his body. And 
uh, at his early 30s with four little kids. It was devastating to hear. We cried, didn't know if he'd live. He's doing great. He's cancer-free right now. We praise God for that. But he went through a season of, of lamenting. In fact, I'm sure he was helped because his pastor wrote a book on his own season of lament and losing children. And he wrote a book, his name is Mark Rogop, named Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. This book here will help you in the midst of your pain if you want to find that help and need to find that help in God. In fact, if, if you say, I, I need that book, Pastor Daniel, I'd love for you to come up to me after the service, and I'd love to give this book to you. This book will help you in the midst of pain, and so will this book, and so will the Psalms. They'll teach us the grace of lament. Do you realize that over, you probably didn't, over a third of the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms, a third of the Psalms are laments. They're the types of cry to God. They're not just praises or thanksgiving. They're cries to God in pain. And I think this is important for us to understand. Far too often Christians think that because God is in control of which he is, and because God is good and he is, and God cares about every aspect of our lives, and He does. That Christians who are told to rejoice evermore need to keep a stiff, stiff upper lip, and they need to grin and bear it when they're in trial. And the reality is, though we trust God, I think there are far too many Christians that go through great sorrows. They go through the oceans of pain and affliction. And they shortcut what God wants to have, and they put on that, not fully vent their heart and learn what God has for them in the midst of their lamenting. Now, I bring all this up because Psalm 10 is a lament. Lament usually has the four components to it. Lament has one, our asking God. Our, I mean, sorry, our addressing God. We turn to God in lament. Two, we complain to God in lament, or we pour out our heart to him. Three, we plead to God, and we ask God for relief in prayer. And four, we express our trust and praise God in prayer. All four of those are in the back sheet of your notes. They're worth writing down as I go along. I'm going to bring four points, and I'm going to trace them through Psalm 10. And I believe that I'm personally helped by this I hope you'll be personally helped in your own life, both for yourself and for helping others. So let's walk through this psalm and focus on four aspects of lament. Number one, lament is an address to God. Lament is an address to God. In pain, turn to God in prayer. O Lord, is the cry of this psalm. In, when we lament... We address God. We turn to him in prayer. It's in a response to pain, and we cry out to him. I say that this needs to be said because it is not a given that you or I will automatically, when we face not just a stub toe that goes away in an instant. I'm talking about the pain, the pain of lost loved ones, 
the pain of loved ones that are walked away from the Lord, the pain of relationships that are soured, difficult, or empty, the pain of sin that you fight against and it doesn't seem to go away and you feel so lost. The pain of feeling in, like you're in a spiritual situation where things are dark and you feel like, as one person described to me, they're in a funk spiritually. For many, the obvious answer is to turn to God. But there are others that their response has been, I'm going to give God the silent treatment. I can't pray. He did this to me. He's put me in this situation, and I'm not going to talk to him. Oh, I pray that you will not fall into that line of thinking. And if you're in that way, I, I pray for you and love you, and I pray that God will help you. Love, I or someone else would love to talk and encourage and help you and take your hand to scriptures and to see God's help in the midst of pain. I know it's not easy, and I don't have all the answers, but God and his spirit can and does. There are some people that can't pray. Lament is the gift of God in the midst of pain that begins by turning to God, by crying out to him, praying and turning to him. When have you gone to God in prayer in the midst of your pain and affliction? Are you going through it right now? Have you just gone through it? Are you going through a prolonged season of something that just aches and you're hurting and you need healing? And you're not healed? It could be a divorce in your family, you're from your parents. It could be situation in school that's just really hurting you. It might be depression and you just can't get your finger on why you're depressed. It could be fears and anxieties about the future. It could be abandonment. It could be loneliness. It could be the loss of that loved one. It could be so many things. The answer of God's people always from the Psalms and from scriptures is they turn, they look up, and they turn to God. There are many psalms and passages of the testimony of God's people doing this. I'm also thankful for the recent testimonies of, of him. It's sing, like, what a friend we have in Jesus, what all the, our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, take everything to God in prayer. Do you realize we are coming to a king, as John Newton says, in prayer? So large petitions, your burdens, your cares, bring for his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. Are you praying? Keep on praying. And if not, turn to the Lord. But what does the sufferer, the lamenter, the one hurting, what does he pray in lament? Well, we see examples in Psalm 10. We saw, oh Lord, he cries out in Psalm 10.1. But what is he crying out, oh Lord, about? Look with me. Number two, in lament, lament includes a complaint to God. In pain, Pour out your heart to God in prayer. God's people, in the midst of their laments, pour out their hearts to God in prayer. Where they say, why, O oh Lord? When we, when we lament in prayer, we offer our complaint. And I say that 
with warning and purpose because there's other places where we are not to be complainers or grumblers of any kind. And I want to say this, we are not to complain about God to other people. But we are able and seen in scriptures to complain to God and pour out all our heart to him. We are to complain to him and bring our burdens and our needs to him. Psalm after psalm we read the cries of the psalmist bringing their, their complaints as though a plaintiff coming to a judge and saying, God, judge, I need your help. I, need, I appeal to you. Here are my burdens. Here are my complaints. Here are my hardships. Here is my specific itty-gritty, everyday burdens and complaints that are keeping me up at night and hurting me every day. Now, I need to say something on this, that there are many times people will talk about, it's okay to be angry with God. He can handle it. Okay, he can handle it. He, he can handle it. He's God, and he handles our sin. But it's not okay to be angry with God. I, you won't hear that from me. It's not in the Bible. If you're, if you're angry with God here today, he'll help you and forgive you and graciously help you even what, what you're struggling in the anger. But I don't want to mistake the second point to say, you can just be angry with God. No. To be angry with God is to act as though you are judge and jury and that God is under your righteous frown of his your approval of him, and he has done you wrong. And as Christians, we are believers, believers that say, oh God, help, I believe, but help my unbelief. But believers that know at our heart of our hearts that God is always right and just, and we are sinners, and we are, we are frail, and we do not understand the things of God, and so we have to trust him. There is a coming before God turning to him and offering our complaints with a type of humble trust and hope in him, but honest and sometimes gritty and sometimes painful way. And the two ways in which this psalmist offers up his complaints to God, the way he pours out his heart to God in prayer, are he uses questions. It's a very common thing in laments. And he offers up and he lays out all his frustrations to the Lord. His questions and his frustrations to the Lord. See the questions? It comes right away at the beginning of the psalm. Verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Do you, do you hear what he's saying? God, you just seem so distant. And, and this is the last Last time that I, I mean, of all times needing you to not be distant, I need you to keep me right here. I need you to be right at my side. I need a helper, and you seem so distant. Uh, the chances are David has prayed to God over and over again, help me, help me. And God, it, it's, he looks, and we find from the psalm, he's seeing the wicked prevailing and being prosperous. We see in this psalm the wicked seeming to win. The wicked are treating the poor and the helpless in such wicked ways. David is beside himself. He is overwhelmed by this. And he says, oh, Lord, why do you stand far away? 
And then he asks the question, he takes it even to the next level, why do you hide yourself? It's like you're active and you're distant. You're not only just standing far away and not coming close to me, you're, you're, you're hiding yourself in the times of trouble. And you see, for David, and just like all of the, our lamenting, we're dealing with this paradox of he's the helper to the helpless. He's a refuge to those who put the refuge in him. He's the shepherd I shall not want. And I'm hurting. My heart is breaking. Where is God? You're so far from me. Why are you? It's like you're hiding in times of trouble. And I think that the point in this passage is not that David knows, doesn't believe that God really left him or that God really was hiding in the times of trouble. But I think that what he believes, it's like that's happening. It's like David saying, it feels like it. God, why is it this way? There are other questions that the psalmists use, like, God, how long are you going to afflict me? Is this never going to end? I've prayed to you over and over again, and it's still hurting. You still haven't given me a child. Oh, you haven't brought my son or my daughter who's away from the Lord back to you. Oh, God, how long is this grief going to last from the loss of my spouse or from the impact of my parents who treated me so badly as a child? Or how will you get rid of this injustice? You see, lamenting is, is not saying, oh, I can't talk to God about any of my burdens, my, any of my hurts. I just got to keep them keep them to myself. No, it's getting on her knees, calling out to God and saying, I am hurting. And it's God, it seems like you're not coming near to me. God, it seems like you're so far off. Help me. Come to me. Come near to me, oh Lord. Help me. I've said the Lord is my shepherd and you haven't been there. Yet the psalm these laments teach us we are to offer our complaints and questions. You see also, he not only offers his questions, he offers his frustrations. In verses 2 through 11, David is, is listing a particular frustrations. The frustrations of the wicked prospering. Their pride. And they're just being so, it's so wrong. They're proud, and yet they're just mere man. They act like nothing. They'll get away with everything. That God will not hold them to account, and that's not going to happen. They hurt the poor. They hurt the weak. And he he's offers all these frustrations. And I think David in doing so, it provides for us an example of when we lament, we pour out our frustrations to the Lord. You might be going through just one after another stress that has brought you to a place that you just feel really discouraged and you get on your knees. And God, lament would mean, God, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you're not bringing me relief. I've cried out to you before. God, here are my frustrations. I feel lonely. I, I feel a lot of pain, and it keeps coming back. I can't sleep. Lord, my, or my boss is unfair and unhelpful. My kids, they don't behave, or they're not, they turned away from the Lord, or my body never feels good, or it doesn't look good, or I still miss my spouse, and my grandson hates you, Lord, and why do we have, why has COVID been so long? And why has our marriage seemed so difficult? 
And why is my husband not leading spiritually? And why does my wife not follow my lead? And why am I overwhelmed with lust? God, this is so difficult. Why, God? And I believe that part of this lament is to get on our knees, turn to God, and offer up those frustrations, being specific, and taking them to the Lord. What do you have this morning? I want to encourage you that lament is not the opposite of praise, but is on the pathway to praise. It is during this lamenting process as we call it, go to God, sometimes God does things in our middle of our offering our frustrations, offering up our questions. As we do that, we start to see them as they are. And sometimes we see that the burdens that we've been so stressed out, stressed about are not so big and God is bigger. Sometimes they're still really big, but we see that we're the reason we're in this mess and we confess our sins and the healing process can begin. As we offer up our cries to God, what is it for you? Is it wayward children or grandchildren? Is it an emotional loss of financial disappointment or fear of cancer or the presence of cancer or relationship trouble, loss of loved one or depression, spiritual deadness or spiritual funk? You just feel blah spiritually. For some, it might be, man, I want to live for the Lord, but I have sexual lust overwhelming me, same-sex attraction. God, why would I feel this? Help me. Maybe it's the pain from abusers in your past, things from home or work or friends or family, just injustices of all kinds. We live in a world where this is going to, we'll face that. And God's word's answer, among many things, is to lament. It is to cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you, Psalm 55, 22. He'll never let the righteous be moved. Or 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious, but in everything, with prayer, let your requests be made known to God, which leads us to the third component. We could even say phase of lament. Arise, O Lord. Lament includes a plea to God. In pain, we ask God for relief in prayer. So when we lament, we turn, number one. And number two, we complain or we pour out our heart. And three, we plead to God. We ask God. Look at verse 12. David calls to God. It's a plea. It's a request. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. You see, he's crying out. This is, there's not a lot of this. He's been mostly describing the wicked, describing his frustration about the wicked. And he turns at verse 12 and he goes, Arise, O Lord. It's, it's like, like the sun rising on a new, new day. Arise, O Lord, come down, lift your hand. Forget not us afflicted. Maybe you need to do that. Use, use scripture language. Oh God, arise, come and help me. Either take this burden that's away or help me to deal with it in a new way. Help me, deliver me, save me, strengthen me, rescue me, restore me, pick me back up, revive me and heal me and shelter me, forgive me. Among many things that the lamenter prays, whatever it is you have, he takes the promises of this book. 
You'll never leave me or forsake me. You'll work all things for my good. You're my shield and my helper. You are my shepherd. And you take those promises and you say, God, remember your promises to me, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, but remember your promises to me, a sinner. Remember that you sent your son to die for me. And if you gave your son, you're going to give me help. Oh, God, keep your promises. Take care of me. I, I don't know how it can go on, but I know you can help me. Oh, God, help me. Arise, oh, God. Break the arm of the wicked, verse 15, and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. You see, God's children are saved because they call on the name of the Lord. You realize that if you're a Christian, you became saved. You were saved from your sins and you saved unto God for eternal life as his child because you called upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10 is a quotation from the Old Testament. Verse 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved from your sins? Oh, I pray that if you're not, that will start today and you will call upon the name of the Lord and he will save you. God, so loving that he sent his own son to come and to die on a cross in order to save everyone who looks up and realizes they can't get themselves out of the sin mess that they're in and the rebellion against God, and they lift up their hands and they cry out and say, Oh God, would you save me? I call upon you. Forgive me based on what Jesus did on the cross. And God in Christ forgives you of your sins, makes you right with him, brings you into his family, gives you every precious promise and says, I will never leave you forever and ever, world without end. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the good news. And it begins by us, it, it begins in our lives in a human way as we respond to his grace and say, I call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what we, we never stop doing that as Christians. We lament, we say, I've called upon you in the past. I again call upon you in the present. God, I am in this place that causes me to lament it's loneliness, it's depression. It might be a teenager and it might be a, a senior. Need you. That's close to where a lament ends, but not the end. A lament turns to God. A lament complains to God or pours out his heart. A lament asks God for help. And lastly, Lament ends with expression, number four. Lament ends with expression of trust. Trust God and praise God in prayer. Look at verse 14. But you see. Dave, David's beside himself. God, you're, you're so far away. You've hidden yourself when I am in trouble. And then there's a, there's a turn because by 14, he's at a different place. He's praising, he's trusting, he's confessing. But you do see. You note the mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. The Lord 
is king forever, he says in verse 16. That's praise. The Lord is king forever. The nations perish from his land. Oh, Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. Do you hear David's trust? He goes from pain and what feels like a despairing heart in verse 1 as he laments to God. And at some point in this, as he's lamenting, maybe he's remembering the promises of God, that God uses hurt and suffering, but he will vindicate. He is just and he is right. He will come because God does see and God does hear. This is, oh, this is such a gift from God to us people in a suffering and sin-plagued world. We get to live in this world, and we are able to see the grace of God working in the midst of these trials. We are to be like Habakkuk, the end of Habakkuk, when the great prophets, he says this, think of this in the year of COVID, the year of 2020 to 21, the year of difficulties, the year of difficulty of trial, he says, though the fig tree shall not blossom, and though there be no fruit on the vines, and the produce of olive tree fails, and there's no flock in the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls, if all of these calamities come on, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He's meaning they're secure. And if you were to read Habakkuk, you'd realize Habakkuk was a lament all the way till the end. And then he turns up and he has joy and praise. It's like David, unto you, O Lord, Psalm 25, unto you, O Lord, I lift my soul. I bear it up. I lift it up to you. You are my God. In you I trust. Let not my enemies, and they're everywhere, exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you. Lamenting is a waiting. It is awaiting. God, I've prayed to you, and it doesn't seem like you've answered yet. It doesn't seem like you've answered yet, but I know you are. None, those, none who wait for you will be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Friends, brothers and sisters, Faith Church, hard is hard. Difficulty, trial, and affliction, it's really hard. Painful. Let's not say it isn't. When, when Christians go through affliction, they don't just go, oh, no, it's easy. It's because God. I mean, sometimes he gives us the miracle of easy, but usually, quite often, it's not. Hard is hard. But we grow to know that hard is not bad. Not ultimately bad, because we have a God who works all things. I heard this devotional this morning reminding us that hard or difficulty, affliction... Well, God is always at work. Hard is, is there because God is using it to bring us to repentance. Hard is there in our lives because it brings us into a reliance on God. There's nothing more important for us to rely on him every moment of our lives. Hard is in our lives often because we're not righteous, but God's making us righteous. And he uses hard things to make us righteous and like him. And hard is hard in our lives because there's a reward coming. And we'll be able to say, it was so worth it. And the reward is so much better. As first, 2 Corinthians 4 says, it's producing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And lastly, hard is hard. Well, to bring us into remembrance. To bring us into the remembrance that God sent his son Jesus 
to suffer hard, difficulty, trial, the cross, in order that all of our hardship and pain so that we would know that they are not God's condemnation on us, his punishment or hatred or anger at us, but part of his gracious instructing and shaping in order to make us joyful forever and ever and ever. Oh, as Christians, we vocalize our crying with turn to God, and we call and bring all our complaints to God. And we ask him for help, and we choose to trust him, and we remember his promises. We know that the pathway, we know, because God's word shows us, the pathway to praise and promise from our pain is to lament, to call on him, because we are the people that call on the name of the Lord. Oh, in the midst of your lament, call on him. Look to him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to conclude with a, a great song, a song that's kind of like the tail end of lament. It is one that you're familiar with. It is the song, it is well, it is well with my soul. Oh, I pray that God would help us make this lament, this call, this praise, this utterance of trust to be healing for us, growing for us, uh, preparing for us, a solid trust in this God who loves to hear our lament and will answer in his good time. Let's pray. Father, would you use this song? Would you use this word? Would you use, by your spirit, would you work in our lives? And I pray that we would be a family, a body of Christ that that laments and helps each other lament and encourages each other and holds each other's hand in the lament. Oh God, hear our cries now. And I pray that you'd make them real, joyful, and full of the gravity that they are. In Jesus' name, amen.